I'll tell you something I love about being in France, in addition to some seriously delicious butter, and that is the wide selection of wines I can find in France for low prices. It can be much more difficult to source those same bottles back in the States, and that's why I love to buy wines out of France with Ideal Wine. I have bottles shipped to me, hassle-free. It's easy. Ideal Wine has a new auction every week and is a great source for iconic names like Ouette, Louis Roeder, and Domaine Lefleve, as well as rising stars like Arnaud Lachaud, Gonon, and Tissot. Find the wines you'd rather be drinking at idealwine.com. That's I-D-E-A-L-W-I-N-E.com and have the wine shipped to you in the States. Use the promo code FIRST, F-I-R-S-T, for $15 off your first order of $150 or more. Hey, that's $15 you could save, and that is some good butter money. See for yourself at Ideal Wine. I'll drink to that, where we get behind the scenes of the beverage business. I'm Levy Dalton. I'm Erin Scala. And here's our show today. Portuguese wine from the Douro Valley is inextricably linked with trade and the strategic location of the Douro River. From Oporto, the Douro's mouth to the Atlantic, wines could be easily shipped to England. The strong connection between Portuguese and English trade was initiated with the 1386 Treaty of Windsor. And if the treaty wasn't enough, Portuguese King John I married the daughter of an English duke, Philippa of Lancaster. The treaty and the marriage solidified relations between the two kingdoms, and specifically, merchants from both countries could conduct equal business in either country. Trade increased both ways, and within a century, established trade routes saw a pattern of shipments of wine to England and salt cod to Portugal. A second treaty in 1654 decreased tariffs for English and Scottish merchants conducting business in Portugal. And soon, Portugal once again increased sales to England when it lost some competition from France due to politics. When Louis XIV's minister restricted English imports to France, Charles I of England wasn't going to have it. He fought back by banning French imports in England. If France was going to choke off English trade, England was going to do the same thing to France. This left a major wine gap in England, and Portugal rushed to fill the drinking needs of England. Much of the wine traded during this time was a light, bright red from what is today the Vino Verde wine region. In the 1700s, when French wines were once again allowed back into England, Portuguese wines still kept an advantage. They could be imported for a taxation rate of about one-third less than French wines. The Portuguese wine business boomed. And as business grew quite fast, some fraud ensued. Some people were selling wines that weren't from where they said they were and others were strengthening their wines with sugar and elderberries. Two market bubbles emerged. One inflated by a false sense of market safety and over-optimism because of England's temporary lack of trade with France. And the second was a bubble based on bad practices. Temporary increased demand fueled a wine trade based on quantity above quality. And after a period of prosperity, the wine bubbles reached their bursting points around the mid-1700s. 
the Duro found itself in some elderberry double-bubble trouble. Portugal's Prime Minister, the Marquis de Pombal, stepped in with an iron fist to handle the crisis. He established government control of the wine trade. He created a monopoly on port exports, regulated yields, regulated prices, had the Douro region mapped out and port regions demarcated. And he also had all the elderberry trees ripped up within the demarcated zones to help stymie fraudulent elderberry use in the wines. Pombal's actions cut short many of the privileges British merchants had enjoyed in Portugal. And while the merchants weren't too happy about it, Pombal's actions did increase the quality of the region. At this time, though some of the exports were fortified with a bit of brandy, most wines were dry red wines. The 1800s were a wild ride for the Douro region. Two wars plus phylloxera caused all sorts of havoc. But these devastations were punctuated by periods of great prosperity. Intense labor and dedication went into planting the banks of the Douro. Narrow, hand-built terraces had been arduously built, and they highlighted the schist and granite terroir. But after so much of this hard work, phylloxera and war were truly devastating, and some of the abandoned terraces still have not been reclaimed. Stylistic changes were also afoot in the ups and downs of the 19th century. By the mid-1800s, fortifying port during fermentation had become customary after a successful sweet and ripe vintage of 1820. Industrial bottles made it easier to bottle the wines and create a culture of aging vintage port in bottles. And changes happened along the Douro River itself. The Douro River was once one of the only routes to market, but the river's fast-flowing waters and treacherous rapids could prove fatal to both person and cask. In 1780, a series of river-taming initiatives began to change the Douro River. First, a waterfall was removed at a strategic gorge, opening up trade to a whole new area. And by the early 1900s, dams along the river slowed the water's speed and made the Douro a bit more tranquil. But by the time the Douro River was easily navigatable to facilitate massive loads of wine trade, sea transport had ironically become obsolete, and wine began to be shipped more by rail and road instead. Port wine comes from such difficult-to-work terraces, and it's enjoyed centuries of intense popularity in Europe, Brazil, and the United States, and now the world. The products of the region include nutty-aged tawnies, unique vintage ports that can handle decades of aging, and dry reds and whites. Some of the older port houses have fascinating histories. Stay tuned to learn more about one of them. It's not enough to make great wine. You also have to reach the consumer that appreciates that wine. And that's where Offset is an incredible asset. Offset is an independent brand design and commerce technology company that connects with wineries on a human level to help them connect with consumers on a human level. Offset is based in wine country and staffed by creative strategists and technologists who are superb at helping create and evolve wine brands through visual identity and package design, developing the look, feel, and tone of your web content, as well as building beautiful and effective websites powered by their proprietary e-commerce platform, Offset Commerce. That's why leaders like Frog Sleep, Grace Family Vineyards, and Rain Winery already rely on Offset. Reach out to the brilliant team at Offset at offsetpartners.com. That's O-F-F. 
S-E-T, partners with an S, dot com. Offset is focused on the wine industry and can embrace the nuanced needs of your wine brand. Joao Nicolau de Almeida of Ramos Pinto on the show today. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello. I'm happy to talk to you and uh, have a Portuguese story about Ramos Pinto. You grew up there in Portugal? Yes. Um, uh, Ramos Pinto is my mother's family. And uh, when I start working, I had to choose my father's family and my mother's family. My mother is Ramos Pinto, and my father is Nicolau de Almeida. They both have a port wine house. Your dad created Barca Velha, the dry wine of Portugal. Yes, so I can say that I was born in a barrel. <laughs> and uh, all my youngness was passed in the, the cellars and also in the vineyards. So it's something that uh, is my blood. Uh, I'm the sixth generation making wine, and my sons are already winemakers. They have three, and they are three are winemakers, and uh, they are the seventh generation. So it's something that uh, is impossible, uh, and I can't explain. We can get out of this. World of wine. What was your father like? My father was a very strange person. It's a person that was very rigid with us and all the professional uh, work. Uh, but in the other hand, he has a lot of humor and uh, has a lot of uh, imagination. Uh, he paint. He played music. Uh, he liked to do strange things. He was a person that liked a lot of how they built in the medieval age. So our house was very strange. It was a castle of the medieval age. And uh, we had a swimming pool. And uh, to get in the swimming pool, we had passed through the castle. And there was this big... Bridge, a drawbridge. There's yes, a drawbridge to to go to the swimming pool, and also he, he painted all of us in the medieval age. So you see, the ambience was in one side very strict, but in the other side was really fun, and uh, and also he was a very good sportive, and uh, he passes this. Uh, it's a pleasure to be sportman and also humor and also rigid and uh, make the life easier. Was he a hunter? He should, but he was not really a hunter. Uh, I used to hunt with him. I have a twin brother. And uh, he, when he was trying to, to hunt uh, some animal, 
with the noise, my twin brother and myself, we disappear and he, he got furious because we were afraid about the noise. Of the guns, <laughs> guns going guns. off. So he was not a really uh, anti-human person. It, it was more for fun and uh, enjoy the life. And uh, friends, he has a lot of friends. And, and uh, he gave us this uh, message of enjoy the life. And why do you think he created Barcavelia? Did he ever talk to you about that? As I told you, he was a, a very creative man. He was no, never happy with the things that happen. He always have to invent something. He invent even a virtual ankle that uh, came from Africa. And this uh, ankle was himself that came by boat, in, uh, by the sea, we, we live in, just in front of the sea. And he arrived with a luggage from Africa, and this uncle Edward took us to do everything that he didn't let us to, to, to do. He pretended to be someone else. Yes. And, and he took you as children. For many years, the uncle Edward uh, came to give us permission to do what my father uh, what was forbidden from uh, from my father. And as a child, you thought they were two different people? Yes, totally different. Only when we were 18 or 17, we realized that uh, it was a joke. He came in a boat? Yes, he came in a boat. With luggage? And he sent a telegram at that time for many months before that he was Uncle Edward, come from Angola, Africa, from the Bay of the Tigers, and he will arrive such a day. And, and of course, we have to, to answer. And uh, we have correspondence for many months. And then he finally arrived and was huge party at home. And because he was painting, uh, he was, um, how do you say, uh, his hair. Makeup. Full, he did make, makeup. His makeup with Bill Cream at that time, you know. with uh, And when Edouard was big hair uh, and uh, not... Uh, uh, make the, the hair so it was totally different but with the same you could see that it was a friend he wore a wig uh, we, yes <laughs> so it, it was things like that that we had in an hour and the Barcavada comes in this type of creation he was always looking for something uh, new and uh, as he liked wine and uh, we always had wine at the uh, table he decided to make this wine, which was impossible at that, uh, that time because the wines at uh, Doro, they have the very high pH. And when they arrived to uh, April with a warm uh, weather, they start re-fermenting. And of course, they lose the, the fruit. They, uh, they have a different aromas. And um, he understood and that uh, he learned that uh, in Bordeaux they were cooling the wines. So he decided to uh, send, during the fermentation, send trucks full of ice from Oporto. They took uh, in these bad roads at that time. It took eight hours to, to arrive at... Uh, Valmion uh, at that time. Uh, Upriver. 
upriver. It's uh, uh, close to Spain. And uh, I remember my twin brother and myself, we were there during all day waiting for the track full of uh, ice cubes, huge ice cubes, which was fantastic because it was really warm weather there and too hot. And for us, it was a great moment when the track arrived full of ice. We jumped to the track. It was like a swimming pool. And then this ice was to cool the fermentation. So he had, for the first time in Doro, a wine that could keep the fresh fruit. Old wines, as I said, uh, they have different uh, fermentations second fermentations and they spoiled his fresh fruit. So with this system, he could control the, the situation and keep this fresh, fresh fruit. That was a, a fantastic uh, uh, new thing in the Douro. And that became very, very important, very, uh, because also he only at that time, the, this wine was very rustic in the beginning. And he uh, didn't have uh, the barrels, the wood that we have now, that are very soft tannins. The wood that he, he used was Portuguese wood, which is really thick tannins. And uh, to become softer, the, the wine, to put the wine softer, he has a big fight with his uh, uh, directors, uh, general manager, which was my brother-in-law, to wait seven years to sell the wine. It was the moment that he think the consumer could drink uh, the wine because the, this uh, rustic tannins has been dropped, has been more soft, and uh, that... Uh, these two conditions gave uh, a wine that everybody uh, liked it. Everybody was happy with a new thing, and it was a huge success for in uh, Doro. And, of course, it didn't make every year, because there were some years it was even difficult to control the situation. And uh, the way he controlled the situation, it was more empirical than scientific. Today we have a scientific way to control malolatic and all this. For him, it was the taste. He has all the barrels, he put the wine in all the barrels, and he tastes one by one. And only the ones were with a proper good taste, a good flavor, he select the other ones who are going to other wines, other uh, labels. So there is these two main things to select a great wine. It was the fermentation, cool fermentation. Ah, before that, there was only a selection. He blend the grapes from a lower part, about 150 meters altitude by the river, and he picked other grapes at 600 meters altitude. So this uh, low part was given the structure 
volume, maturation, and the higher part, highest part is giving acidity, fresh fruit flavors, and uh, lower pH. So the wines were more, uh, the top more fruity. So we could blend them every year. Depending on the year, could blend more at altitude or less at altitude. And that I learned with him. And it's a wine that is very long-lived. I'm sure you've tried older vintages yes, many times. Yes, it's a wine that could live forever. It's, uh, so it's uh, it proved like that. Also, the still wine can age uh, very well. As you know, the, the, the port wine was born as a dry wine. Only in 1820, there was a fantastic vintage with a lot of sugar content. The grapes were very mature. And uh, that time, the grapes start fermenting, fermenting, fermenting. And uh, they ferment so much alcohol that the yeasts, Stop working. They couldn't uh, resist so much alcohol, and there was still sugar. So there was a natural port wine, as we know today, 19 degrees with still a lot of sugar. And this was a huge success in England. And um, uh, they asked uh, the buyers in England, they asked, we should repeat that. That's great wine that you should do. And uh, for that, they decided to stop the fermentation with the brandy to have the same uh, type of wine that the nature show that you also could do that. Like uh, other wines, like Champagne, like Cherise, uh, it was the nature one day that changed the thing and say, you also can do this. But it was not uh, Pacific, this uh, situation. It was, we had some people like Forrester, which is a historical person of the Doro, was against adding brandy. He wanted to make the, the steel wine. Well, this was a huge discussion till the end of 19th century, but at uh, the end of the year, everybody was making 45 wine like we see uh, today. And uh, only in 1952, restarted again the steel wine with the Barcavella. There was no one else making steel wine in, in the, no. the Doro at the time? Well, everybody was doing uh, uh, steel wine, but not a, a control wine. It was a wine to drink. But to our for the drink, family? For the family. For the workers? Yes, we know we have to drink wine <laughs> we could not drink port all the time so we make wine for ourselves everybody was doing some barrels for, for that and for the workers but not to explore and to bottle uh, like uh, we know today so that it was a revolution in the, the, the in the area to become again to the, the still wine to, that we, today we call Doro wine. And I think um, this system there was after that, there was some people, some houses that uh, start making also uh, still wine. 
in that tradition in this uh, in this way and uh, i think that, uh, in 1990 ramos pinto has a uh, a great uh, influence of uh, the new era that we call doro wine why because we selected the varieties for doro wine we planted the varieties to produce uh, doro wine and we bottle 80,000 bottles with a strategy in the market so everything was made from the beginning to wood wine that we call doro but long before that in the 1970s your dad sent you to France to Bordeaux i was studying economics and um in the, we are seven brothers and sisters quite a lot of people and in a christmas uh, dinner he told me just like that now if you want to study enology i send you to france and i had i send you to france that was good for me I that was the key you wanted to get to france that was the key and i said okay i went but study what enology at that time didn't exist this word in, in portugal and i say what's enology enology studied wine and i say okay wine <laughs> i've been drinking wine all the time i i've been involved with wine i i watch i don't know how many barrels uh, during the holidays that's not problem wine for me let's let's go to france <laughs> and it was like that he turned my my your whole life your my career my life uh, to uh, i went to bordeaux to study and um enology of course it was fun because it was it was in 1970 and uh, the f the first uh, year was with um the same time with um, medicine because you know and I, I, it was very strange i was studying wines with uh, people with, that were studying medicine then i understood that pasteur was the first uh, enologist so there was still a link between uh, medicine and uh, and wine and it was fun to to understand that and i had the chance to have as a professor the Jean Ribeiro Gaillon which was uh, the man who resolved the, the problem of malolactic fermentations uh, in the white wines that was a problem in Bordeaux he figured out how to do it yes uh, and also Beno uh, Jean Ribeiro Gaillon it was the, the scientist and uh, Beno was the practical man who taste who, who developed the tasting and these two personalities it was his classes their classes were fantastic fantastic one talking about colloids and uh, things strange things that <laughs> I didn't know that exist in, in wine and the other giving classes tasting classes drinking wine enjoying the wine and talking about wine in a in a way that everybody was 
totally surrounded, uh, surrendered to, to, to his classes. And also I had the opportunity to work, they invite me to work with them in his uh, chateau. And I learned uh, how to do some research in, in, in small scale microvinifications, studying the different varieties and so So this was really a chance to me to, to see this uh, wall. And uh, when I came back to Portugal, I realized that uh, we were still in the medieval age. It was really... Uh, there's a music, so you had to get out to get in, you know, the genesis. And uh, it's true, in this case, I went out to understand what happened in Doro. And uh, I had a chance to work to, uh, with my uncle, José Ramos Pinto. He asked me to work with him. He was very worried about the, I don't know how to say, inertia. The, the region, there was, there wasn't any evolution. After the two wars, was completely isolated, the roads were really bad, the vineyard was totally separate from the wine, the blenders, they were in Porto, uh, they knew about wine and the uh, viticultures, the producers were, they knew about vineyards, they didn't know about wine. So my job was to make this link. I understood it was necessary to put the vine and, uh, and the wine. And my uncle was uh, enthusiastic and he said, well, we lose the knowledge of the varieties. We don't know which was which. There were some people there working on that, but I went to see, and it was in really bad conditions without any scientific control, and uh, it's not, wasn't very clean, and so. So, my um, uncle said, you should study the varieties for port. The grape varieties. The grape varieties. The different vines. Yes. And uh, I said, okay, but I also want to study the varieties for Doro wine. Because I I had my father with the Barcavalla, I had Bordeaux, I had this message from our ancestors about uh, dry port without sugar. So... The dry wine was something very important for, for me. And I told him to study also, and he said, okay, go ahead. But the problem was when I asked how many varieties exist here, and he told me 83. <laughs> and that was impossible to, to study this. Uh, it's impossible. You... The, the gurus from here, you should tell me 10 maximum to study. And they gave me the 10. And uh, I planted three experimental fields in the three sub-regions with these 10 varieties. 
the Simo Corgo, the Baxa Corgo, and the Doro Superior. Exactly, because the, 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 they are very different. Also, the experimental field for the rootstock, also for the plantation, many things to adapt for the modernity, for the mechanization, also to introduce the tractor. To do trellising, to have it on wires so you could use tractors. Yes. Instead of making walls, that was impossible. It was a slave work. And also, we uh, changed the direction. So uh, instead of terraces down. that would go horizontal, you did up and down on the slope. Yes. So you followed the curve of the slope. To 40% of inclination. North to south, yes. and you did it on wires. Yes. Like that, we had... a. Uh, uh, plantation with a density about uh, 5,000 plants per hectare instead of 3,000. Because you took out the walls, you had more yes. space to plant vineyard rows. Exactly. Even though you were using tractors. Like yes. even though you needed the space for the tractors, yes. you still had more rows. Yes, and uh, we can produce more per hectare, but less per plant, which was good for me. I wanted to produce less per plant. Uh, and you have mechanization, but of course, depends on the inclination. If it is more than forty percent, well, that the tractor is, falls out. Yes, yeah, the person dies. Yes, yeah. it's a tractor with a caterpillar. Uh, is not with wheels, you know. Uh, and uh, this uh, study about uh, the varieties in 1981, my uncle thought it was so important uh, for the region that he said, let's communicate this uh, to a local university. And uh, there was a symposium, and we went there to this uh, symposium, and uh, I present the five varieties that were select uh, for port and for Dortmund. Uh, there didn't exist the Doro wine, but for still wine. And... Um, it was polemic. Say, so, ah, you come from Bordeaux, you you don't have to tell. We mix everything. The problem, I'm not against the the, the mixing the varieties. The problem is to know what we are mixing, because we can mix good varieties and we have a good wine, and we can mix bad varieties and have a bad wine. Like my parents' generation, they talk about this vineyard good, the other one is not was not good. So, But they didn't know why it wasn't good. Yes. They didn't know. They lost. The, the varieties were much better known uh, in the end of 19th century, beginning of 19th, uh, 20th century, than after the wars. It was lost. This. And so we said, okay, that's our suggestion. We have these five, Toriga Nacional, Tinto Cao, Roriz, Toriga Franca, and Tinta Barroca, that we can use for port and for still wine. If you want to hear this suggestion, very well. If you don't, go in your way. That, But we felt responsible to communicate this to the region. And then, two years uh, after, the World Bank came to Portugal to finance uh, new replanting. 
and um, there was 2,500 hectares. They say, okay, we're going to give you the money, but you should present a project. And there was not a real project in an administration. They didn't know exactly what. And the five varieties were picked from our study. Because there wasn't another study to really no, go on. Not Yours really. was the only one. Yes, uh, with the concrete uh, solutions. And uh, the 2,500 hectares were planted with these varieties. Uh, some people say, well, there was much more varieties to explore and so and so. Of course, there is always uh, some polemic. Uh, the, but we said, okay, we agree and uh, we also are from you. We accept your opinion. But uh, there is much more varieties to study. We couldn't study 83 varieties. It was impossible. We study something urgent that we should plant immediately and save the evolution of Doru because uh, everybody was planting. They didn't know exactly how and and when and and what to do. So this is good for Doru wine and port wine. Please, uh, we ask to the university, please, it's your obligation to study uh, the other part because the thing doesn't uh, stop here. Well, unfortunately, the university didn't study any anything about They didn't the, take up uh, the other grape varieties no, or the other no. ways of planting. But what happened is that not my generation, but... Uh, my generation was like uh, pioneers uh, opened the, the, the road and uh, the n new generation for my sons, they are uh, looking for those uh, different varieties. So everybody now is experimenting here and there, new varieties, which is very rich for the future of the Doro and Port Wines. And uh, in our case, we use more Sauzan. We use uh, for the red and Tinta da Barca, some varieties that uh, we add to our uh, list. For the white, we have the Rabigato, uh, Viozinho, Arinto, Folgazão. So there is... Um, uh, is fermenting the situation, uh, and uh, especially because this young generation is living there. My generation was going up and down. My parents' generation, till my parents' generation, they live in Oporto and used to go to the vintage in September and then go back to Oporto. My generation was up and down, and my sons are living there. Because there's electricity in roads now, so yes, they can live there. Yes, there is conditions for, for that. And uh, also, the Doro wine gives them a chance to produce wine. Because the port wine is very difficult to produce, it's very expensive. The, the laws are still a bit... From the past, they have to. We are now studying how to change the laws for the port to give the permission for the young persons, young uh, boys and girls, 
could make port. A chance for small producers. Yes, because uh, you see, to produce port wine, you have uh, to you need hundred fifty thousand liters in stock. You have to have a big cellar, and at one time you actually had to have a lodge in Villanova de Gaia. Yes, and that was preventing small producers from entering the market. Yes, it was uh, made for that. The laws are made for that, which, in a way, control the situation, and it was a success for port wine, but it was not an evolution. The laws should be adapted to the new, new world. And that's what I want, and I like to work on that, to change this, because now the port wine is reduced to the some houses, five port houses, mainly, big groups. So basically, there's five houses that make port, but a lot of people could make Duro wine. And that was yes. a chance for yes. the younger generation to do something that they yes. could do, that they could actually be involved in. Yes, they start with the Duro wine. But now they, they want to make the king, which is the port. And uh, for that, we need to change some, some laws to give the chance for uh, a young uh, enologist to make this port. And that is very important to give some new life to the port wine. Port wine needs young people like all the sectors if you don't have uh, young people with motivation creativity and uh, and so there is no evolution and so we are working on that laws uh, we and in our port association we create a group to study how to change this and give the chance for the young persons to produce uh, support so when you arrived in the 90s, in the early 90s, what was Ramos Pinto like when you took up the idea of doing still wine and port wine? Well, I arrived in Ramos um, Pinto in 76, uh, which means 40 years ago, <laughs> almost 40 years ago. And I went to Ramos Pinto. Ramos Pinto was not making uh, red wine, the uh, Doro wine. And, but as I wanted so much... I had a friend that has a, a vineyard, and I start making this wine called Valpardingers uh, in another part because uh, it was something that I was uh, I wanted to make. It was a red wine, which became a success in that uh, part of the world. And then you see the, the Ramespit family became very big, and uh, it was difficult to to have uh, decisions, everybody, as you know, as a family house, is difficult. We were already 25, and it was uh, difficult to to have a, a One strategy. Yeah. To so we decided to sell. My uncle, watched the, the president, decided to sell this to someone who could understand the family project, I mean, own production and uh, viticulture evolution and so, and Rother was looking for a port house. Rother, Louis Rother. Louis Rother. And um, uh, Jean-Claude Rousseau, which was the, the president of uh, Rother, came to visit us 
And when he saw our work, when he saw the, all the works that we have been doing, he said, well, that's the, the port company that I should buy and we bought uh, in 1990. Because it was a, a family-run champagne house that also owned vineyards and made wine, and they probably understood a family-run business in Portugal that owned vineyards and made wine. Yes, the philosophy was the, the same, and we were very happy. And they asked me to to run the house, and to why did uh, they pick you? <laughs> I don't know. Now, the, the beginning nineteen ninety, they asked me to be in the board, but not uh, as a as a CEO. But I was the responsible for all the wines till now. Uh, and in, in 2001, I became CEO. They asked me to be CEO, and it was something, something strange for me. I told them I learned about wines, to make wines, not to run a business. Run a business. Uh, let me think about this. It's a strange uh, proposition. And then I thought like a musician that I play in a group for many years. Uh, see, well, let's see. I was uh, in orchestra playing an instrument like a violin or something. Now they are asking me to be the maestro. So as a maestro, I can make the wines that I want because I can touch everything. All the, the, the stuff will work in this direction and it's a great opportunity to make great wines okay i said okay <laughs> of course the uh, beginning was a bit uh, complicated to, to adapt to this but after that and rather has a fantastic uh, strategy with the hammer pinto gave me carte blanche and that makes me more responsible and because um, if something goes wrong it's your fault basically. yes <laughs> it's not because uh, they told you to do it that way and i have to answer for the, the, the everything so it was a great exp experience that with them that i i learned a lot of uh, the way of uh, wine making and all the other parts of the, the company and uh, it was a great uh, great years 25 that uh, I spent uh, with them. And I'm very grateful about this. Uh, it's, it was really fantastic. I, I don't see that there is many enologists that have these uh, opportunities to have a life like I had. Ramos Pinto had focused on tawny ports for a number of years. Well, it's difficult when, when uh, we are seen like uh, something it's very difficult to change these ideas. And I agree that Hamish Pinto was mainly for Tonys. And I'm very happy for that because Tonys is a wine that I think it's a great wine, totally different from vintage. And it was more for the Portuguese market, for Brazil, for France, and for uh, Portugal, and not the English market. The English market was controlled by the vintage, by the, by the English. And, of course, they wanted 
powerful wines, uh, very heavy, and uh, it was a different taste. So the English sell the, the vintage, and the Portuguese houses, sometimes they used to make uh, vintage, but it was not the main thing for the Portuguese houses. When I arrived, it was this more or less the situation at, uh, at Ramos Pinto, and my first uh, attention was to the tonnies. I realized how difficult it is to make a great tonny and how great is a great tonny. When I start working, I ask my father, what's the difference between a tonny and a vintage? And he said, vintage is a wine and tonny is a port wine. So you, vintage is the nature, is the year, is the right place when you choose the right grapes with uh, red fruit flavors. You age this for two years in barrel and then you bottle and this bottle aging like the red wine. But this port is a fortified red wine. The Tony is totally different. It's a unique culture of wine aging, wine making. And you should understand that probably 80% or 70%, I don't know exactly, but the majority of port is Tony. And if you visit the cellars in Oporto, you see all the barrels where the Tony's age. The Tony is aged by oxidation through the, the wood, and but doesn't age just like that. You cannot... Forget the wine, and we have to follow them. The, the wine is always changing, something alive. And uh, the, the art of aging the wine is to understand what the wines need for their aging. The wines are like persons. They, need, they get sick and need to be treated. They need to go for a walk. They, they they get bored sometimes. They need sometimes they are a bit getting a bit older. They need sometimes a, a young company, young wine to to give some life to help him to age. Sometimes it's the opposite. The wine is too vigorous and need a old wine to calm a little bit the the enthusiasm. The young wines. Like us, the young, they get married very well, very easily. The old ports, the old Tonys, to get married, you have to study a lot, it takes time, and it's not, it takes a lot of time and difficult. So there is many, many things to do. And I understood that uh, it was difficult to understand on the beginning, that is experience. And uh, the, these uh, wines, Tony, when we start working, we have wines that were made for our ancestors. And we work with them, we make another wines, and we live for the next ones. So the Tony's is wines of uh, generations, something, a continuous process of uh, generations. And uh, Ramos Pinto, was focused on that. 
But then start the magazines and everything talking about vintage. And uh, when I came to Ramos Pinto, the vintage was not so important, was more focused in Tonis, and uh, the vintage were made uh, in vats and so but I asked my uncle to return to the past. I mean, make the vintage in the Lagarge. We rebuilt the new Lagarge. The concrete tanks. Concrete tanks when we trade the grapes by, by feet. And we still do that. And that changed totally the um, conception of port wine in, in Amos Pinto. It was not only, of course, the tonnes we always have to improve. The wines are never finished. But we also have to improve the, the vintages. And in 1982, we have, I think we turned the page of the vintage in Doro because we make uh, seven barrels with different varieties. So we start making vintage in another way. So it's a different grape variety for each barrel. Yes, and we blend them afterwards. And people weren't used to doing that. Usually they blended no, them as grapes. the vintage were all mixed. You harvest and you, you, you ferment harvest together. And then you choose the, the samples. And that because we apply all our knowledge in Quinta de Erva Moira. That was the first Quinta to 150 hectares planted with uh, separated varieties. Basically planted on the paper that you'd done. Yes. It was a, a family vineyard. Yes, of course, it was always an uh, incentive of my uncle that was very excited for, for and he pushed me every time I present the results. Oh, I want more. So he gave me uh, this force, courage to continue, which was a huge work, uh, but uh, with this... Uh, uh, motivation was uh, becoming easier and very interesting. And uh, we start making, as you said, with different varieties that come from Hervamora. And uh, 82 and 83 changed completely the way we make uh, vintage. And since that, we have been doing evolution. And uh, I'm very happy with the last vintage that we do. Uh, and even this year, 2015, I am sure that we'll have a great vintage. It's a great year. It's been good for you. Yes, very, very, very Has good. it been early and hot? It's been a fantastic year because we have rain in the winter. When you want it. Yes. Uh, so we have a reserve of water on the soil. And uh, the springtime, we didn't have rain. It was dry, dry, dry till, and June, we have a, a bit hot uh, weather for two weeks. So it was the only thing. But as we have the most part of the cycle uh, with the low maximum temperatures, and during the night the temperatures were low. So it was cold at night, and that preserved the freshness. Yeah, exactly. And the grapes arrived to the vintage to be picked in a very good, uh, very nice grapes, fantastic grapes, not dry, not uh, spoiled with diseases, small uh, bays. 
So it was something uh, ideal. And uh, during the, the, the vintage, the generally there is uh, rain. There was only small rain during two days and then became a, again a very nice weather. So the, the grapes are maturing very slowly and uh, in a very good conditions. The wine, I say it's a work, they are magic. <laughs> Because I've never seen like that. I don't know the final result because now there is a lot of fermentations and there is a lot of brandy. So I'm very happy. I'm very happy to see a special. It's my last year at Amos Pinto, and I San Peter gave me good uh, conditions to go out with a great vintage. When you taste the grape varieties that are different, what are the differences between those grape varieties? I mean, I feel like you would know that the answer better than anybody. Well, uh, start from the whites, the main four whites, uh, white grapes that we use. We have... The main variety for white is Rabigato. And this variety has a, a big resistance for the heat. Keeps the acidity and keeps the fruity and freshness. So, and uh, has uh, some structure. So it's the idea, in my opinion, the variety for uh, this place. Then we have Arinto that keeps also the acidity, but uh, gives minerality to the wine. Ravigato is more fruity, and this is my, and is more uh, mineral, and keeps also the acidity. Then we have Folgazão. Folgazão is a variety that has structure, body, full body, and it's a sunny, I like to say it's a sunny variety because it's vibrant. It's like when we look at the sky, you see this brilliant air. You see, it's a very Doro wine for me. And, um, and uh, the other one is Viozinho, which is very delicate, suffers much more with the uh, high temperatures, but in a turn to the uh, north side and uh, higher altitudes gives a very complex wine. So this is for the whites. For the, the reds, we choose the, the, the fives. Well, Toringa Nacional, which is the star. Why? Because it's very nice fruit, soft tannins, uh, has some minerality, and the uh, intensity of fruit is quite uh, very good. And it's also a variety that resists a lot to the sun. In terms of aging, I don't think she needs uh, another variety to support for the, for the aging. And this variety we choose Toriga Franca, which is power and structure and the volume and this uh, blend with uh, with um, Torriga Nacional they have a complement 
from one to the other. There is a good blend. And then we have, I will say, a couple, like Rorish and Baroque. Rorish is the man. Vigorous, strong, thick tannins, sometimes a bit <laughs> too thick, but very straight, uh, very rigid. And Baroque, soft, velvety, tannins are very soft, so they are opposite. And these two could help to, to give the blend. If you need more softness, if you get more vigorous, uh, you use one of them. And uh, finally, we choose Tintucão because it's very different from the others. And that's what I always look for, a difference. Like uh, when you have your piano, you want different keys. You don't want always the same key. You want different keys to make your song, uh, your music. And uh, lately, we that's what the, the five that we propose in 81. And now we are using also Sozan, which uh, very vigorous and a bit holistic uh, variety and uh, has a is full of color it has a lot of color dark color so it's more for the color and a bit for the rusticity and uh, uh, we use that because sometimes we have a wine that is a bit we don't, uh, too smooth or the, too, fruity, too round too soft, too too soft and, and that gives uh, something uh, more energetic and also, another one that we are using that we discover is Tinta da Barca. And this Tinta da Barca is soft like Baroque, but has a, a finesse, a very fruit finesse, very delicate, but we notice that and gives some acidity, some gives some lively to to the wine. So we're going to along the, these years we're going to experiment and we have still a long way to to achieve the, the eighty three. Still, <laughs> there is many generations to 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 achieve what you to, have, to achieve, yeah, but to know about it. Yes, but the the, the thing in Doro. Uh, which is a very, very difficult uh, country to to work. I'm always asked why we are there and not an easier place. It's because, the answer is because there is so many things to do. And also when you do something, you have an answer and you are done. You can discover <laughs> and yes. find something new. Yes, if you experiment something, you have a result. And when you start, it's like a mine. You find a, a, a small piece of gold and you want more and you see that you can have more and more and more. And when you realize you are there for all your life, you can get out from there. That's uh, how the Doro catch the, this, uh, all these people there. And uh, it's uh, even the, the region, if you look, it's always changing. 
always altitude, exposition, inclination, air, uh, varieties, rootstock, everything is changing. So you have a huge orchestra to play your music. You can you have all the instruments there to play uh, the music that you want to play, and you, I'm sure we will die, and um, we just did a little in the region. So I'm suspect to, to say this, but that's what I feel, and I I think a lot why we are there. We have to break. We don't have soil. We have a rock, and we have to break this rock one meter and a half deep to make soil. And and this soil is uh, sterile. And uh, you have you make uh, this soil that you you have to plant the new vineyards, and they only achieve the mother rock again on the fifth year. It takes that long for the roots to get to the Yes, rock. that's when we can make port wine. Achieving this uh, mother rock again with uh, leaves of cheese, these leaves of cheese, they keep the humidity. Uh, small pieces of uh, water, and they supply the, the plant in a good conditions, not too much, not too less. And... The vineyards are like us, they, they need to be supplied regularly with water or with food. Uh, if we eat too much and one day and the other day we don't eat, uh, we have our quality of life is, uh, has problems. It's the same as the, in the vineyards. And when they enter in these uh, leaves of the, the schist, uh, they have what just what they need to to survive. So, which do you pick sooner, the grapes for the dry still wine, unfortified, or for the port? Well, the last you see the last grapes that uh, peak now is Toriga Franca for red wine, because Toriga Franca has a very long cycle. So, when Toriga Nacional was already ready. I had to choose for port and, uh, and for red wine. And uh, generally, I choose more maturity for port. More older vines? Older or, vines also. Or? But uh, more uh, maturation, the degree of maturation higher. Okay. But in that case of the, the Franca, you, you uh, didn't? In case of uh, generally in all the varieties, you see we, can, we cannot pick all the grapes at the same time. Sure. And sometimes uh, the grapes, for instance, uh, I like the Toriga Nacional, fourteen degrees sugar for the, the for red wine maximum. Otherwise, they lose a little uh, acidity. If the pass fourteen, I will pass to port to the wine, poor wine. Okay. To, to the port wine. So it's the more because riper the por- grapes that go to the port, usually. Usually, but it's not. I need also fresh grapes for the port. So it's always, you have to be there to make all this blend. You know that for red wine, you don't have the possibility to make so many blends. 
And you're doing it from the grapes in your head. Yes. And for instance, there is another variety. It's Toriga Franca. It's low degree. It's more for, we can use a lot for red wine. But Tinta Barroca is a very high degree to be a good uh, maturation. It takes a while for the phenolics to get ripe. Yes. And so you have to have it ripe, otherwise it's Yes, harsh. it has to go to 15 degrees sugar to to have a good Barroca. So, you know, in Burgundy, a lot of times they say when it flowers, then they pick 100 days later. From flowering to picking is 100 days. It's kind of the general rule. In the Douro, the vines flower, and then how many days later do you pick? The temperatures in in Douro are much more radical than they are in, in Burgundy. We can have a very hot year. Sometimes the things go very well as an average, and come a week of very hot uh, and change everything. So it's difficult, in my opinion. There and also depends on the place where you are. Sure. There's different regions of the region, altitude and low altitude exposition. Many things play on that. So it's not so easy to, to think like um, a flat, more or less flat country. You right. can't control my, more of this situation. There you have to be there. That's why I'm always during the vintage in the vineyard to see what's happened, what uh, the changes. And, 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 uh, so it's a very complex region. Sometimes for me, the sensation of freshness that I have drinking a vintage port is more fresh than the sensation of freshness that I have drinking a Duro Red. Like it seems fresher, the port, which I would think would be unusual, but it's something that's happened a couple of times. Well, the vintage is a long uh, experience to make a vintage. The red wines, we are still trying to polish the the diamond. We found the diamond, a rustic uh, diamond, and we are trying to polish. And uh, last three years, there is more and more wines that look exactly this equilibrium, freshness, and uh, power, and acidity. So we have been working that. Uh, you see the wine that we have because those quintas we have we caught one of the quintas is uh, 150 meters but great maturity and the other is a six monzares is a, a 600 meters high so depending of the year to get this freshness we're going to pick more at altitude Unless and the lower part. So you can, because you're blending vineyards from two different elevations, you can tweak how much you take from each to kind of get what you're looking for in this finished wine. Exactly. And that's uh, very important to give this, what you said, give this uh, acidity and freshness. And you're very literally the second generation of dry red wine producer in the Douro on a commercial level. How do you feel that that progress has happened? I mean, when you look at what your father did and what you did, and you're about to hand off the company and, and move into a different phase of your own life, how do you feel about the accomplishment of where you've taken this idea of dry red from the Douro? I'm very happy with that because I have at least the conscience 
that I work. I did my best. Probably I could have better. We always could have better. But I have this message to my uh, to my sons, as my uh, even at Ramos Pinto, and I'm I'm comfortable. Joao Nicolau de Almeida has a consciousness of continuity in the Duro. Thank you very much for being here today. Thank you. When we do something, we always like to to tell what we do. Yao Nicolau de Almeida of Ramos Pinto. All Drink to That is hosted and produced by myself, Levy Dalton. Aaron Scala has contributed original pieces. Editorial assistance has been provided by Bill Kimsey. The show music was performed and composed by Rob Moose and Thomas Bartlett. Show artwork by Alicia Tenoyan. T-shirts, sweatshirts, coffee mugs, and so much more, including show stickers, notebooks, and even gift wrap are available for sale if you check the show website, alldrinktothatpod.com. That's I-L-L, drinktothatpod.com, which is the same place you'd go to sign up for our email list or to make one of the crucially important donations that help keep this show operating. You can donate from anywhere using PayPal or Stripe on the show website. Remember to hit subscribe or to follow this show in your favorite podcast app, please. That's super important to see every episode. And thank you for listening.